Thank you. Good morning. Yes, my name is Al, if you don't know me. I'm also one of the leaders of the church here. And um, yeah, it's a great morning. It's a special morning, especially for Sarah, Becky, Simon and Julia. And a special welcome. If you've come, especially to see them being baptised, I hope you're enjoying it so far. And um, yeah, it's a great morning to celebrate. Um, We're going to be hearing a bit about how God has changed their life later as we uh, hear their stories. But and they're going to be baptised in this big uh, box of water over there. I always think when I see this, it looks like we've had a rhino delivered. <laughs> but it's, it's amazing, you know, it's good, it's good to reuse things, isn't it, and recycle. So, um, yes, yeah, we've managed to put it to good use. But I want to say, I, I'm sorry that they, we haven't got any special water in that tank today. In fact, we, nev- we never do, because... It's not actually, going through the waters of baptism, it's not about changing the people who are going to be baptised. It's actually about celebrating and showing a kind of picture of what God has already done to change them. For some of them, it would have been a while ago. For some of them, it was more recently. Um, baptism, it's a symbol of being washed clean. The Bible says it's a symbol of being washed clean from the wrong things we've done that separate us from God. It's a symbol of Dying, like going down into the water, coming up again, rising to a new life that Jesus gives, a new life with God at the center. And we're going to be celebrating that and celebrating the change that God has brought about in those four who are going to be baptized. Um, If you're not a Christian here this morning, um, you're really welcome. I hope that this morning is at least interesting. I hope it's it's great if you're here uh, with a see a friend or relative being baptised, but I hope you get a better idea about what baptism is about and the kind of change that God can bring about even in your life uh, and that he offers today. If you're a Christian here this morning, as many of us are, and you have been baptised, I hope it's a morning when you can celebrate and you can remember your own baptism, and, but more importantly, what God has done in your life and how he's changed you and how he's going on changing you. We're going to look at quite a dramatic story from the Bible uh, for a little bit. And it ends up, funnily enough, with someone being baptised. So I thought it was a good one for this morning. But the emphasis is not on the details of the baptism. We don't get an idea about what kind of pool it was, what they were wearing. But the thing that's emphasised is the difference that God made in this person's life. And some of the other people in the surrounding events. So the words are going to come up on the screen. It's from the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 16. We're starting at verse 19. Just before I read it, I want to say it's part of a a longer series of events. but We don't have time to think about everything in that this morning. But basically, it's from the time of the early Christians, the early church. And uh, Paul and Silas were two guys who went around telling people about Jesus, that they could reconnect with God, be forgiven uh, through him and what he'd done on the cross. And Paul and Silas, we pick up the story when they're in a place called Philippi. Um, It would be in Greece today. It's in ruins now, but you can go and see the the ruins if you want to in Greece. And some people in that city have become Christians after hearing the message of Jesus through Paul and Silas. But it, it led to some great results, but it led to some problems as well. And there was this woman who was um, a kind of clairvoyance, able to predict the future by some kind of spiritual power or spirit that was inside her. And she was kept as a slave, made her own as lots of money by predicting the future. 
pretty grim situation. But Paul, um, through Paul, God set this woman free. Set her free from this spirit that was uh, controlling her. And I guess from the people who were controlling her as well. But then things really kicked off. Because the guys who were her kind of owners, they thought, well, our our money-making scheme has gone now. And they were really mad about it. So reading from verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations, uh, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains became loose. The jailer was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We're all here! The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your households. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I want to point out three uh, different examples of God changing lives Uh, from those incidents back then, not just because they're interesting, I hope they're at least interesting uh, and amazing, but because we as Christians believe that God still changes lives in a similar way today. So the first thing I want to uh, point out, the first kind of thing we see is joy in suffering. Joy in suffering. Paul and Silas have been treated pretty badly. They were doing this slave girl a favor setting her free from the forces controlling her. But things had turned nasty, and uh, the owners had turned on Paul and Silas. You can perhaps sort of see it from their point of view a little bit. Uh, the magistrates, but they, they didn't give them any kind of trial. They just, they just send them out to be stripped of their clothes, beaten with rods. That it says they've been severely flogged. They're thrown into jail, wounded. We, we actually hear later on about their wounds being washed much later. So they were perhaps in prison, you know, with some broken ribs, broken teeth, cuts and bruises, bleeding, ripped up backs maybe, in a right state. 
no compassion, no sort of fairness in the whole thing, no sort of um, efforts to find out what really went on. And then when they get into prison, they're, they're put into the worst part of the prison, the inner cell, probably like a dungeon, no light, perhaps no fresh air flowing in through the bars, and their feet in the stocks as well. We're not talking like the kind of stocks you have like at a theme park, like Lego Land or something, where you, know, you, you slip your feet through these massive holes and then someone takes your picture. Now, these are real stocks, really uncomfortable, meant to be uncomfortable, meant to stop you from going anywhere and doing anything. No wonder they were still awake at midnight. But after all that, they weren't cursing, they weren't complaining, as would be quite reasonable, really. Verse 25 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Wounded, bruised, bloody, and yet peace and joy. They weren't physically free, but there was some kind of freedom they had inside them that meant that they could, they could sing praise to God when nothing about the circumstances, there was nothing to say thank you to God about the circumstances, but they knew in their hearts there was plenty to say thank you and praise God about. And it was unusual. It caught the attention of the other prisoners. They were listening. And it's not normal. It's not normal, but for these guys who'd encountered God, they put their faith in Jesus, God had changed them. They, they were different. God was at the center of their lives, and it made all the difference. They had joy, even in the face of suffering. Some of you might have heard of a lady called Corrie ten Boom. She was a Dutch Christian in the Second World War. She was imprisoned by the Nazis for trying to protect Jews. They had quite a bit of success hiding them in their home in Holland. And in her book, The Hiding Place, she describes the terrible conditions in the Ravensbrück concentration camp where her and her sister were. The overcrowding, the fleas, the awful sanitation, and the suffering. But for her and her sister, it was their Christian faith that kept them going, that, that gave them joy, even when there was just suffering. They were experiencing suffering. There was suffering all around them. The promises of God in the Bible kept, became very precious to them. Things like reading that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And she wrote this in her book. Life in Ravensbrook took place on two separate levels. Mutually impossible. One, the observable external life grew every day more horrible. The other, the life we live with God, grew daily better, truth upon truth. Glory upon glory. There's some amazing stories of God bringing joy in the face of sufferings, not just in the extremes of prison or concentration camps, but in everyday life. I know that if we were to ask around this room this morning, I know we've got people here who've known God's joy, God's peace in the middle of family problems, money worries, losing your job, illness, Alarming results from the hospital. Sadness in losing someone you love. God is still able to and does help Christians have joy in the face of suffering. Becoming a Christian, don't let anyone ever tell you it's a quick route to an easy life, 
with nothing going wrong. And in fact, sometimes life gets harder when you become a Christian. But God can give that, that deep joy and peace on the inside, no matter what's going on on the outside. Is that something you could do with right now in your life? Well, God wants to offer that to you. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, God can bring that change in your life. Well, the second example to look at from, uh, of changed lives from that, that story is forgiveness after cruelty. Forgiveness after cruelty. So Paul and Silas, they, they hadn't just been on the receiving end of, of harsh treatment from the magistrates. It was from the jailer as well. And let's not imagine that this jailer, I've read this story before, perhaps I've imagined the jailer to be a bit like um, one of those old guys on the Scooby-Doo cartoon. Kind of like an old guy with a big bunch of keys, hunched back, you know, maybe opening the door of the haunted house, whatever it is on Scooby-Doo, you know, but he's the prison jailer. <laughs> you know, that, that sort of thing. But in fact, as I, as I learnt this week, reading up on this, these guys at the time, they were most likely um, ex-military This was a tough guy, an ex-Roman soldier. He was told to guard Paul and Silas carefully and he wasn't going to take any chances. He goes the whole hog. He chucks them in the the inner cell. He puts their feet in the stocks and he doesn't give them anything nice. I mean, later on they get food. Uh, when, When the things have changed, they get washed. But at this time there must have been nothing. Just chuck them straight in, lock them up, make them as uncomfortable as possible. That's what they deserve. Maybe it's, um, you think it's understandable. Perhaps that's all, all he had to go on was that these were dangerous people. They needed stopping. They needed punishing. Let's stick them in the worst bit of the prison. But you'd also understand it though, wouldn't you, if Paul and Silas didn't want to do him any favors. But in fact, they do. In the night, there was an earthquake it says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains became loose. You know, the whole place was shook. Just everything was crumbling. Everything was falling apart. And Paul and Silas quite literally had a get-out-of-jail-free card. They could have just hopped it. They could have just run off. And so could the rest of the prisoners as well. But they didn't. And it seems that the reason that they didn't was because they cared about the jailer. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And that's just how it worked in those days. This jailer, he knew he was in for the chop. He knew he was in for execution because he'd have failed in his duty. Earthquake or not, his prisoners have escaped. He's going to cop it. And he thought in that kind of shame and honor culture, I'm not going to go through the humiliation of being executed. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it myself here and now. Fall on my swords. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer calls for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Well, the Silas have not only stayed behind, but it seems like they've stopped everyone else. They've, they've held on to the rest of the prisoners. They've gathered them together. They're all still there. Despite the way they were treated, Paul and Silas have reacted with concern and forgiveness 
and kindness for this jailer. Jesus taught it, didn't he? Love your enemies. They were trying to put it into practice. Jesus didn't just teach love your enemies. He, he practiced it as he was dying on the cross. He spoke words of forgiveness for the people who were putting him to death. And Paul and Silas showed forgiveness in the face of cruelty. They had the opportunity. They could have paid this guy back big time. They had the opportunity, but they didn't. They wanted to be kind to him. It was another sign of God's work in their lives. God had changed them. Paul, particularly, we can read in the Bible, he didn't used to be a kind person at all. He was on the other side of it. He was wanting to see Christians in prison. He was wanting to see Christians killed. But God had changed him. I don't want to pretend that Christians have the monopoly on forgiveness. Of course, it's not any Christians who do and can forgive. But everyone finds it hard. And it's one of the ways that God helps us. If we entrust our lives to God, if we ask for his forgiveness and say we want a new start with God, a life with him at the center, then it's one of the things he does. He helps us to forgive. And I'm sure we've got people here this morning. And I can say it too. God has helped me to forgive people who've hurt me and done things against me because I know I've been forgiven by God. In the 1950s, there were five American missionaries, including a man called Jim Elliott. They were trying to reach out to um, people in a, a tribe in the Amazon rainforest, known to be quite a savage tribe, even amongst themselves. A lot of murders went on. And they thought over a period of time, they gained the trust of the people in this tribe. But one day, all the five missionaries were murdered by tribesmen. It's reported in the news at the time. It's quite a well-known story. But out of it came an even greater story of forgiveness. Two years later, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, uh, and the sister of one of the other people who'd been murdered, went to live with that tribe to carry on the work. And this demonstration of forgiveness was, was picked up on by the tribe themselves. And they wanted to know, they wanted to know what was behind this. They wanted to know about the greater story of forgiveness, God forgiving us in Jesus. And many members of the tribe became Christians. Help to forgive is just one of the many things God does in changing people who come to him. People who say, I've had enough of calling the shots in my life. I don't want to be at the center of my life anymore. I don't want to take the lead I want forgiveness. I want God to take the lead in my life. It's not always as dramatic as in the Amazon rainforest or in a prison back in these early days. But God is still helping people to show forgiveness even after cruelty. Would you like to know God's help to forgive? This is something coming to mind this morning. Maybe something very painful for you as you think about it but you know it's the right thing to do to forgive if it's at all possible. That's one of the things that God can offer us. Forgiveness from him and then help with forgiveness towards others. Are you a Christian here this morning and you know you need help with forgiveness? Are you demonstrating the forgiveness that you've been shown by God? Well, Jesus said we should. Forgive Forgive us our sins, Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those 
who sin against us. Let me be treated as I'm treating others. Forgiveness after cruelty. God can even help in that. It's one of the changes God does. Well, look at the last one. The final life changed in Philippi. It's actually that of the jailer. And in his life, we can see God bringing about celebration out of despair. Celebration out of despair. Well, back to the story. There's been the earthquake. The jailer's about to kill himself. But it turns out the prisoners are all still there. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? We're not told exactly what was in his mind when he asked that question. What exactly did he mean by being saved? We certainly know from the book of Acts that the idea of being saved was a a common Christian expression that was used at the time, just about getting into a right relationship with God. It's one that Paul and Silas had been speaking about earlier on in Silas, um, sorry, in Philippi. And the jailer, maybe he's picked up on that. Maybe he's picked up on something they've said in the jail or something they were singing about. But there's a sense of despair from this man. His prison has fallen apart. He's nearly died. But maybe he's looking at these two guys and he's thinking, these guys have got something that I haven't. Something that I would like. Maybe he thought, look, look, these are the guys who were treated roughly. They're in pain, they're bleeding, they're injured. But they're singing songs of praise to their God. It's weird, but it's amazing. And I even I've treated them, I've just treated them like prisoners normally deserve. And I don't expect to make any friends here in the prison. But they've done me a favor. They've actually saved my life. And this earthquake, well, who knows, maybe, maybe this is their God doing something as well. I need help. Maybe they know the answer. What must I do to be saved? And most, most of us ask a question like this, maybe not the same words. Most of us ask a question like this at some point in life. Those moments when we recognize, I just haven't got enough. I'm weak on the inside. I'm flawed on the inside. There's strong people or forces out there. And I just don't have full control of what's going on. I need help. I need help from the outside. I'm not sure what the jailer thought the answer would be. He asked, what must I do to be saved? Maybe that's just the way he worked. He thought, well, let's let's have it then. Tell me what I need to do. Do I need to pay some money? Do I need to go through some rituals? Do I need to complete some sort of task? But the answer that came back was actually, you don't need to do anything. You don't need to do anything, just believe. They reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your households. And many people think that being a Christian is all about what you do. Good life, helping others giving money, going to church. Yeah, they're all, they're all good things. Obeying rules. But maybe, maybe the thing that we need to hear is actually, being a Christian is not so much about do, D-O, it's about D-O-N-E, done. Believing in the one who's done it for us rather than 
what we need to do. Jesus, we heard him on the prayers earlier, Jesus lived a perfect life we couldn't live. He lived a life in perfect relationship with God as well as being the son of God. And when he died on the cross, he died to take the consequences of all our mistakes and failures towards God and other people. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, he showed the job was done and he showed he'd done everything to give new life to everyone who says, I want God to be at the center of my life and I want his forgiveness. And when Simon and Becky and Julia and Sarah baptized shortly, I want to say it's not just another thing that Christians have to do. It's not another thing that we have to do for God to accept us. That's not why they're doing it this morning. It's a symbol for them of what Jesus has done for them, of what they believe and trust in. As they go down into the water, it's that reminder of Jesus going down into the grave. Up out of the water, like Jesus rides up worry. Don't go down to the water for very long. Um, up out of the water, it's like Jesus rising again to new life. And they know that gee, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus has done with that old life, has now ended. And now that Jesus is in the driving seat, he's Lord. He's in charge. He's the best person possible to lead their lives, this new life. Their sins have been forgiven. And even though they don't look any different now, maybe from when they became Christians, and they'll, they'll look wetter when they come out of the water, but that's the only thing that will change. But God has done an amazing thing in them. And being a Christian is just about receiving what God has done for you, rather than something else you have to do. Everything Christians do, every good work that um, we try to do, everything uh, like that, flows out of what God has done for us. It's not the basis on which we're right with God. It's just something that flows from that. Well, God began to change things in that jailer's life straight away, in fact. And it says, I've not really noticed this before until this week, and I was looking at this. At that hour of the night, the jailer took Paul and Silas and washed their wounds. So you can, you can imagine they, they got chucked in jail with no care and attention when were the wounds from? The wounds were from the previous day. The wounds were from being beaten up. But now the jailer thinks, I've got to do the right thing. I'm going to care for these guys. It's a little bit overdue, but he washed their wounds. He wouldn't have done that for other prisoners, I'm sure. To turn around, this tough guy, now he's kind to them. And after his, he and his family were baptized, we're, we're told the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. It's not necessarily a big meal for everyone. It might have been, but these guys hadn't had any food. He was, again, being kind to them, showing. You know, it's obviously not something he would have do, done normally for the prisoners. They'd been banged up in the prison. Maximum discomfort, no refreshments. Now the jailer says, come into my home. He serves them a meal. And that's not the only change. Finally, it says about the jailer, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. And this whole prison experience shows us that God changes lives and just a few ways how God changes lives. Different way that Paul and Silas reacted when they faced suffering and cruelty, but also the effect it had on the jailer ended up with his life being changed by God and great celebration 
and joy coming from that. I'm going to be hearing in a moment from uh, those who are being baptized about the difference being a Christian has made to them. Maybe you've been listening this morning and you've been thinking, I need change. I need change in my life. I'm not going to say you've come to the right place, but hopefully what I've been saying this morning is just an effort to direct you to the right person, to God, who can bring about positive change as you come to him. God, through Jesus, offers lasting change, not just New Year's resolution kind of change, lasting change for the better reconnection with God, the peace and joy and power to forgive that come with that along with many other things. And you can receive that this morning. That's something that you've been thinking about recently and maybe you come to that point where you're thinking, yeah, I would like that for myself. I want God to change me. I want God to take his place at the center of my life. I want to live life his way. All you need to do is, you don't need a special ceremony. Uh, You just need to talk to God yourself and say, just like the jailer was told, believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus died to reconnect you with God and forgive you. Believe that he's alive and he wants to lead your life and receive that. You can say those things in your own words to God whenever you like. And you can talk You can talk to anyone here. If you come with a Christian, you want to know more about the kind of things I've been saying this morning, you can talk to them or talk to me or anyone else who's been at the front this morning. We really believe God changes lives for the better, not just back in Bible times, but today in Lewis. It's for absolutely anyone And we want to celebrate as well what God has already done in uh, these four people's lives in a moment. Well, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're alive and you're the God of change, change for the better. Lord, we thank you for the work that you've done in every um, one who's been changed by you in this room and those who are being baptized. We pray, Lord, that we might get more of a sense of what you can do for us. And what you maybe still want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.